Any point of entry is possible, and all choices are arbitrary. Still, there are definitive moments, moments we use as references, because they break our sense of continuity, they change the direction of time. We can look at these events and we can say that after them things were never the same again. They provide beginnings for us, and endings too. Births and deaths, for instance, and marriages, and wars. It's the wars that interest Tony, despite her lace-edged collars. She likes clear outcomes. So did Xenia, or so Tony thought once. Now she can hardly tell. An arbitrary choice, then, a definitive moment. October 23, 1990. It's a bright, clear day, unseasonably warm. It's a Tuesday. The Soviet bloc is crumbling. The old maps are dissolving. The eastern tribes are on the move again across the shifting borders. There's trouble in the Gulf. The real estate market is crashing, and a large hole has developed in the ozone layer. The sun moves into Scorpio. Tony has lunch at the Toxic with her two friends, Roz and Karis. A slight breeze blows in over Lake Ontario, and Xenia returns from the dead. The Toxic. Two. Tony. Tony gets up at 6.30, as she always does. West sleeps on, groaning a little. Probably in his dreams he's shouting. Sounds in dreams are always louder. Tony inspects his sleeping face, his angular jawline relaxed to softness, his unearthly blue hermit's eyes so gently closed. She's happy he's still alive. Women live longer than men, and men have weak hearts. Sometimes they just keel over, and although she and West aren't old, they're hardly old at all, still women her age have awakened in the morning to find dead men beside them. Tony does not consider this a morbid thought. She's happy in a more general way, too. She's happy that West is on this earth at all, and in this house, and that he goes to sleep every night beside her and not somewhere else. Despite everything, despite Xenia, he's still here. It seems a miracle, really. Some days, she can't get over it. Quietly, so as not to wake him, she gropes for her glasses on the night table, then slides down out of the bed. She pulls on her Viella dressing gown and her cotton socks and her gray wool work socks over them and stuffs her bundled feet into her slippers. She suffers from cold feet, a sign of low blood pressure. The slippers are in the form of raccoons and were given to her by Roz many years ago for reasons best known to Roz. They're the duplicates of the slippers Roz gave her eight-year-old twins at the time. They're even the same foot size. The raccoons are somewhat ratty by now, and one of them is missing an eye. But Tony has never been good at throwing things out. On her insulated feet, she makes her way stealthily down the hall to her study. She prefers to spend an hour in there first thing every morning. She finds it concentrates her mind. There's an eastern exposure, so she catches the sunrise when there is one. Today, there is. 
Her study has new green curtains in a palm tree and exotic fruit print, and an easy chair with matching cushions. Roz helped her choose the print, and talked her into paying the price, which was higher than what Tony would have paid if she'd been alone. Listen to me, sweetie, said Roz. Now this, this is a bargain. Anyway, it's for the place where you think it's your mental environment. Get rid of those dull old navy blue sailboats you owe it to yourself. There are days when Tony is overwhelmed by the trumpet vines and the orange mangoes, or whatever they are, but she's intimidated by interior decoration and finds Roz's expertise hard to resist. She feels more at home with the rest of the study. Books and papers are stacked in piles on the carpet. On the wall, there's a print of the Battle of Trafalgar and another one of Laura Secord in unlikely white, driving her mythical cow through the American lines to warn the British during the War of 1812.